Is less really more when it comes to the pursuit of wisdom, or is ignorance truly bliss? This is an Ask Me Anything for episode EF6. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF24 of the Evolve Faster podcast. Quick spoiler alert, you're about to listen to an Ask Me Anything about a previous episode, EF6 of the Evolve Faster podcast, which is season one, episode four. So last week I did a behind the podcast for the same episode, which answered some of the more personal questions about why the episode and how it was created. This one's a straight up ask me anything and has questions relating to the the plot, the characters, the proofs. Um, and the episode was called Information Mainlining and the Folly of Modern Wisdom. So there may be some spoilers here if you have not listened to the episode. And if you'd like to not have that ruined, I would go listen to it. I'm not sure what I'll reveal, but hopefully not too much. So let's jump right into the questions, but I'll briefly remind you what the episode was about. Um, from the description, this is the one about Paul, the physicist, and here's from the description of the episode. The idea of wisdom goes back to ancient Greece, from Socrates to Plato to modern-day reinterpretations and research by sociologists like Monica Ardelt. In this episode's exploration of wisdom and how it manifests, the real questions come forth. Even if we can define wisdom, is that enough to come by it? Can anyone truly become wise in this world of rapidly changing information? And what will happen to the world if wisdom is actually declining in reverse proportion to the volumes of information available every day? So the questions that we will try to tackle here, time dependent, is what does it mean that ignorance is bliss? And is it? Does it mean we can never be wise if we acquire new knowledge nonstop? Is the pursuit of wisdom really a folly? Is knowledge power even today? Does being a philosopher automatically mean a person is wise? How can I practically reduce the chaos in my life? Can I really be wiser with less information? Can knowing too much actually be harmful? Are you implying that wisdom is an attainable or learnable skill? If our ego drives us to do big things, then why is that a bad thing? When we try to win ego games, be right, is this a cause of problems to seek wisdom? So we'll try to get through all those questions. And as a reminder, you can submit questions for future um, behind the podcast and AMA episodes at evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. So let's get into the questions. What does it mean that ignorance is bliss? And is it? So ignorance is bliss was coined by an English writer named Thomas Gray. I read on his wiki page that, that he was a, an extremely self-critical writer, and I had to laugh because what better person to coin such a perfect phrase than a highly self-critical writer? So I can imagine him sitting in uh, his office back in the 18th century, perplexed by the never-ending cycle of knowing, having the ability to create and feeling and you know not feeling like it's good enough. If you're like that, at one point, the idea that it's better to know less is bound to come to you. I can certainly relate, especially when working on this episode when, where things for sure got worse in the rewrites before they got better. So actually, Paul and Gray might resemble each other quite a bit. In the first uh, episode of season one, episode EF3, there's a part where the main character, Jonathan, comments while watching pigeons resting on the wire, how he envies pigeons because they seem to be more zen than he could ever be. Simple animals and lower, without developed prefrontal cortexes, they don't get depressed, they don't overthink death or wonder, does someone love them or not? 
they know less. So if we take just the category of people, usually people who are more aware, who have trouble accepting the reality of everything. Thus, if you know less, you're more Zen because you have less stuff going on in your head. But think about it, isn't this the ultimate challenge that humans are privileged to face? You can be a pigeon or a human rising to the challenge of knowing. As Sid says at the end of the episode, if we have this unique chance to actually do something in our lives and help people, then enduring the chaos might just be worth it. So this is where I think mindfulness and meditation can play a huge, huge role in helping alleviate some of the undue stress that society puts on us today and we put on ourselves. But that's a topic for an entirely different episode. Does it mean we can never be wise if we acquire new knowledge nonstop? How long do we have to process new information to become wise? So it would be wrong to say either one or the other is the correct way, because I don't think there is a correct answer. I'd say it's not about acquiring or not acquiring. It's about how you're handling what you have. There's no definitive path to becoming wise. I think ultimately the, the road towards wisdom is unique for each of us. It does seem possible if you consider how many other crucial things in life are subjective as well. What we love, what we hate, what we think is acceptable or not acceptable and so on. Imagine if you gave every human being a shovel to dig holes. They'd all have the same tool, but some would dig a hole quicker than others depending on their skills and given how they use the tool. We all have brains that are remarkably similar, which is our tool that we can either use or misuse to dig up knowledge and gain experiences in search of nuggets of lasting wisdom. So after creating this episode, which itself changed me, you can never step into the same river twice, you can never write the same podcast twice. Uh, I don't think there's a time frame or formula, but I think with experience, you learn what to discard and what to focus on in life. And that's what our character goes through, learning that that's important and figuring out that he has to figure out how to do that. And that discernment, we hope, leads us somewhere wise in time, no matter how long it takes. Is the pursuit of modern wisdom really a folly? Comparing knowledge and wisdom, which one do you think is more prone to changes? Also, which would you say helped humanity more to develop? These are probably impossible questions to answer. But I'd argue that the idea of a wise person is the same today as it was two millennia ago. While a knowledgeable person today is probably very different from his 2,000-year-old counterpart. One is a Lululemon-wearing Google master, skilled at synthesis and question asking. And the other is wearing a toga, memorizing scrolls. Similar but different brains and skill sets. But wise people now and then would probably be much more similar and need less particular skills. So while knowledge accumulates, wisdom keeps a steady shape. At least that's how I see it. And wisdom is more of a human creation than knowledge, since a good portion of knowledge comes from outside. And I'd argue that true wisdom can never be a, a folly. And of course, if you can train your brain and balance seeking experience and creation over constant consumption, then modern wisdom might just not only be possible, but more powerful. So the, the title and the, and the story is kind of a cautionary tale about what can happen to even very smart people who are you know, acquiring information, but not processing it into wisdom. So the title doesn't imply that it can't be done, just that it seems to be the trend we're on that most people 
are not going on that path. But maybe we can argue that wisdom changes a lot as well. At one point, Sid says to Paul, it's one thing to know a lot, and it's quite another to know what's important. And that sets up another interesting question. Does what is important change with time? And if so, what are the elements most prone to change? And do we have to adjust this highly abstract idea of wisdom to it? Robert Sternberg, an American psychologist, describes wisdom as the use of one's intelligence, creativity, common sense, and knowledge, and as mediated by a positive ethical values towards the achievement of a common good. That's quite a mouthful of knowledge, I, I, I know, but, but just give a thought. I use that for a reason. He uses knowledge as just one of several critical elements. And if he's right, he's suggesting that wisdom truly is important and can in no way be a folly and is quite different from just knowledge alone. Because if we value knowledge so highly, then we should value wisdom, where knowledge is only a small component, even more. Is knowledge power even today? I think so, but the depth required to access power and knowledge is rising to incomprehensible levels. To really have powerful knowledge today, I think you have to be wise. Having deep information alone in the Google age seems to be waning in value. With AI starting to churn massive deep learning that a human could never do, wisdom might start to become a far more powerful asset, although one harder to develop and more difficult to even see the path to it. On the knowledge front, I think the phrase polymath will be used less the more society moves forward. Of course, meaning someone who's broadly erudite, whose expertise spans across many different fields. I'm, of course, sure you'll find the occasional bold person on Quora or LinkedIn self-proclaiming themselves as a polymath, but maybe not. If you do a quick Google of Google search of polymaths, you'll get the likes of Da Vinci, Pythagoras, and other old folks. And I'd say the likes of Bill Gates and Elon Musk have to be classified as practical polymaths. People who are knowledgeable across disciplines and are actually doing something with the knowledge. In effect, proving on scale that they can act on the information. Then you have the von Neumann types who were academically brilliant across the board. But does the lower incidence of these types of characters mean we're getting dumber? Or perhaps there's just too much depth required in the pools of knowledge now, considering the vast amounts of information that are out there. To begin being a knowledge master today in any field, say quantum physics, takes a breadth of understanding just to catch up to current understanding that's simply overwhelming. And then to extend that same depth to other fields as well, perhaps the, the main power is in a more subtle area. Wouldn't you say the more you know, the more it means your mindset is open to discovery and experience? Maybe that's the measure we need to track these days. Skeptical, open-mindedness, having the ability to sniff out bad thinking yet not closed off to discovering paths that might lead to wisdom. How can I practically reduce the chaos in my life? Can I really be wiser with less information? Well, this actually connects well with the previous question. To expect that there will come a day when all your life problems will be solved and you'll be running through a field of flowers in slow motion while bathing in sunlight is probably not realistic. I mean, I've seen Buddhist monks walking around in shopping malls, staring at their smartphones. So everyone's susceptible to this. But we might just be able to reduce the chaos by accepting there will always be chaos. But, but accepting doesn't mean giving up. 
Just because you, for example, accept you currently suck at juggling, does that mean you can't practice and master juggling? Chaos, just like ego, can be your biggest friend and your biggest enemy. It's up to you. So just like Sid quotes at the end, chaos is the name for any order that produces confusion in our mind. So my TEDx talk goes into the ways I practically reduced chaos in my life, if you're interested. I do all that today, still, and more. So everything I talk about in the TED Talk, I, I do in, even in a more extreme way today. Can knowing too much actually be harmful? There's definitely some neuroscientific research showing that information overload is reducing our capacity to think clearly, creatively, and critically. I'll link to a couple uh, pieces of research in the show notes. You can even see why considering the internet and the vast doors that a digital age have opened up, it's sort of become human nature of the 21st century to consume as much as possible by simply consuming information at one point and then regurgitating it back out on social media for another person to consume. Facebook, I guess, is like one big vomitorium. I mean, at times, <clears throat> if you feel yourself in a social media-only vortex, which can happen, it seems as if we're all turning into the uh, huge human centipad, to use a crass South Park example. What seems to be left from culture is what you can find from other people's Instagram profile, next to their selfies in the bathroom. I do think this can be harmful. Multiple studies and personal experience show that living out most of your social life online in places like Facebook just makes people more depressed. And in a world of increasing loneliness and depression, that's not what we need. But yet there wasn't internet for the first couple of millennia of human existence. And we were still stupid. So we butchered each other the same as we do now, just in a less tech-savvy way. So stupidity did exist before social media, and if we follow the logic, it's not social media that's the problem, it's us. This is just an amplification, this technology. So it's just a lot easier to be mentally complacent today than ever before in an age where most people, at least in the Western world, have their basic needs met in one way or another. Passively consuming information can make us mentally obese quite quickly. And before you know it, we're stuck in a single place because we can't move under our own mental weight. Too much knowledge can be harmful if you have no methodology for using the knowledge. So in the end, it's, it's about processing and less about consuming. The reason I chose Bill Gates as the dedication for this episode is that the amount he reads, but it, it's not just because he consumes information, he implements the knowledge. I, I'm not sure there's anyone alive who's contributing more to humanity on a practical mass scale if you look at everything he's trying to do from malaria eradication to climate change solutions. Maybe Elon Musk, but he was a better dedication for episode EF11. So yes, I think knowledge can be a detriment as much as an asset, depending on the type of information, your intentions, and today, what systems you put in place to manage the use of that information. Are you implying that wisdom is an attainable or learnable skill? At this point, I think we can agree that being knowledgeable isn't the same as being wise. So as discussed in the episode, to be wise, you also need to see the bigger picture and have empathy and understanding of others. Nobody is going to knock on your door one day with a gift card saying, congrats, you're wise. I'd even say it's not possible to pinpoint when someone becomes wise. It's just silly. But you definitely have that familiar feeling 
when you stand and speak with a person who is wise, don't you? You can sense wisdom, and it's not easily faked. A bit of a different question is, can wisdom be taught? If you ask the Buddha, no. That's actually the main reason that Siddhartha set out in the world and has his novel, to learn from himself and experience, not from other people's words. There's a phrase at the end when Siddhartha finally reaches enlightenment that says, wisdom is not communicable. The wisdom which a man tries to communicate always sounds foolish. Knowledge can be communicated, but not wisdom. One can find it, live it, do wonders through it, but one cannot communicate and teach it. I'm not the Buddha, so I'll take his word for it. And also, it would probably be a good idea to go out and learn from personal experience instead of learning from me trying to attempt to talk about wisdom, which the Buddha just told me can't be done. <laughs> if our ego drives us to do big things, then why is it a bad thing? You probably know the story of Alfred Nobel, in, who invented dynamite to help out his father, who was in the mining and demolition business. But of course, just because dynamite was invented for construction and mining purposes, that doesn't mean someone can't use it to blow someone up and to space and beyond. It can use it to be kill innocent people, but it can also be used to do good things. Ego might be kind of the same thing. It can kill you, but can also help you achieve great things. This episode's topic isn't directly about ego, but we had to leverage the character because an overblown ego seems to rub counter to wisdom. The episode is foremost about freeing your mind from distractions and understanding how different wisdom is becoming in an era of endless nonstop information. So wouldn't you say the ego highlights both our strengths and weaknesses at the same time? And the path to wisdom is being able to listen and make use of both sides of the coin? How do you leverage ego and act without it? I don't know, you tell me, it's, it's not easy. In fact, I'd wager it's not entirely possible. I think instead you have to leverage ego, but consciously not get sucked into the egocentric black hole that it can create. It's a tricky double-edged sword, and although we might never know the exact process, um, same as for wisdom, just taking a moment to think about what your ego is and how it can affect your judgment is a giant step forward. So if you just leverage your ego, but act without it. I know that sounds easier said than done. I mean, I'd, I'd agree with the question that I'd say ego is wrongly accused of being a villain. Instead of being an evil mastermind that looks out for any possibility to destroy you, your ego might be more like a scared child or a wounded animal, frightened and willing to do anything to feel secure. So yes, your ego's actions are likely to hurt the owner, but people who manage to take ego for what it really is, might be able to leverage its power without being consumed by it. I mean, in that case, we might just have a wise human on our hands. There's a great book by the American psychologist George Valiant titled The Wisdom of Ego. He talks about how life experience shapes ego's defenses by providing examples of people such as Beethoven, Henry Ford, and even Gandhi. So we can say ego develops as we develop, but how couldn't it? It's part of who we are. The earth would be a very drab and empty place without ego, as little accomplishment would probably have happened without its influence. But unfortunately, all the downsides make us question its value. When we try to win ego games and be right, is this the biggest detriment to seeking wisdom? I definitely believe this is a, a big problem. 
Because by trying to win the ego game, you're willingly putting a ball and chain on your foot, and you're usually closing yourself off to information and listening. But the solution to the problem isn't in crushing the ego. I'd say it's more in, in learning how to balance everything out. Because again, it comes back to taking the journey and experiencing. We don't have to necessarily go out and flip our life on its head as Siddhartha did, for example. Possibly one single step out of our daily comfort zone might be good enough. A few months ago, I read my daughter a children's book titled Rabbit Listened. And it's about a little girl that tries to build a tower, but the tower constantly crumbles down. So various animals come in to help, but because of their sudden approach, the girl rejects them. One comes in and wants to help her scream, and the other one wants to come in and rebuild, and they're, they're all just forcing their worldview on what she should do in the situation. And then a rabbit comes in, and he sits down, and he listens without offering anything. And slowly, the girl warms up and slowly starts to explain her problem and why the tower is tumbling every time she tries to build it up. And in the end, after she begins to open up, she goes through every emotional stage that all the other little animals brought to the table. But it's different because she's the one opening up. And by the rabbit listening, she is able to realize her issue and kind of rebuild herself, retell the story. It's an interesting little lesson to, to take away that um, what if the key is to simply listen to other people? Like what if that is the number one key to wisdom? The protagonist in this episode, Paul, he can't listen. And when he finally does listen, it's a really humbling experience for him. He, he sees things that he didn't see before. He, he sees things in Sid, the person he's, you know, kind of learning from at the end of the episode. Um, he sees the annoyance on Sid's face uh, at having to speak with him that he's never noticed before because he's been so unwilling to have an empathetic position at all. So we wrote Paul as this very smart person for a reason, because even smart people have walls up that they don't realize they have. Walls that someone who is considered to be less smart can overcome without even thinking about it. So he has the right goal, but he wants to be wise for the wrong reason. So he sees Sid as the first person who helps him recognize that his ego has gotten so far out of his control that he can't even recognize it. And specifically in this question asked about is trying to be right all the time a problem? I think that specific, specifically is a, is a big problem and ego is at its core. And I don't think our education system is helping this. The approach of the education system through standardized testing and the way it's set up is that there's one right answer to things and you have to be right. It's not good to be wrong. It's not okay to say, I don't know. And I think this is taking us down a path that whatever is the opposite direction of wisdom is, is the direction that this has us going. And I don't think the internet helps this, you know, with this ability to have all the information and seemingly one answer to questions, I think is a really bad thing. And we have to own up to the reality that you can't, won't, and shouldn't know everything at all times. Listening leads to wisdom, not knowing. So this brings us to the end of this Ask Me Anything for episode EF6. I hope you enjoyed this AMA. 
I apologize to any other questions that were submitted. This is all I had time to answer, and I chose these as a set of questions that I felt were representative of, of the rest. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.